It's episode 136 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Carla Keane. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very excitable because I've just come back from a workshop with Improbable and Lee Simpson, which has been terribly good fun. We got to do that fantastic Keith Johnson exercise where you come on stage and the audience get the opportunity to leave whenever they are not entertained. (laughs) And and literally everyone's mouths were like aching from laughing so much. It's one of the most hilarious things I have ever done. Um, It was brilliant. Yes, I've um, I've done that exercise, and uh, it's sort of brutal, but really interesting. Yes, it is brutal, but you you learn a heck of a lot. And the main, well, one of the main takeaways with me was like the beginning of your show is so important. Like you notice, like that people were leaving like really quickly, like making instantaneous decisions. Like, yes, I do not like this. I am leaving. But those who who were staying, by and large, were stayed the whole like duration of the course until the performer was like, "No, I want to leave now. Please leave." <laughs> the audience were finding that funny. Yeah. So yeah, for me, it was a big lesson in like, uh, maybe the beginnings of your show, even if it's like a narrative piece and it's quite serious, you really have to find a way of like hooking the audience in really mm. quickly. I think I agree, and I think it's just reassuring the audience, we've got this, you're in safe hands, you don't have to worry about any of the performers, you don't have to worry that we don't know what we're doing or it's going to be a terrible show. Yeah, absolutely, it's like, it's, it is really important, like, I think, yeah, to reassure, reassure the audience that you kind of know, know what you're doing, uh, as an improviser, which, yeah, is uh, tricky when you don't know what you're about to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's, what's the improbable course that you're doing? Um, so it is a week-long course. It is the idea of it is to introduce you to the way in which improbable create shows. So mostly that is through improv, but obviously, actually, most of the shows that improbable create are improbable. They're actually devised, so there is a thing, a product at the end of it. But it was interesting to learn that even though they do that, the thing that they often start with on stage is almost never the finished product so they start deliberately with something that is a bit rougher than you might expect it to be and during the course it kind of finds its way which is a really intriguing way of working Mm. yeah there's a lot of we're doing a lot of improv because that is is their way in but also ways of recording what you're doing and again because it's improbable it's it's really exciting and interesting ways like through like drawing pictures of moments so there might be an improv scene that you watch and there's one particular moment that is just like it strikes you um so i i drew a picture of someone it was literally just an exercise about it was based on um i think it's it's michael chekhov and the sort of movement styles the molding floating flying if that makes any sense to anyone and someone like floated in up out of a chair mm. and and in that like the entire audience got the sense of a ghostly presence behind them like as a consensus and i thought oh that is the moment that's the moment i'm going to draw so we've got those along the wall and then maybe tomorrow we're going to kind of look at how they might like how what have we created over the course of a week and that's intriguing because i've never done that before mm. um yeah, just kind of making improv like actually a little bit more tangible. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's a really interesting technique because I'm fascinated about 
the idea of using improv to you know devise um you know or to create sketches or something like that and i'm really interested in the how do you take the thing that was created in the moment and then translate it into something that you do again and the idea of doing a drawing is really yeah, fascinating it is like uh, the impression i get with them is that it a lot of their modes are borrowing, stealing from psychology, from theatre in various ways, and finding ways, like applying the improv philosophy to them. So again, today we did a sort of puppetry-esque thing. And what I love about Lee Simpson, again, is it's a great thing, is he, he never like purports to be an expert in anything, which I think is quite important. It's mm-hmm. like, I am not a puppetry expert. I am showing you this thing. Okay, great. Thank you for showing us this thing. <laughs> and the thing he was showing us was like how to take bits of paper. I think maybe people have done this before. You, you kind of crinkle them up a little, little, little bit like him boxed in and you make a puppet from it. But the, the, the way in which he was talking about it was, in improv terms, it was about not controlling that bit of paper, uh, allowing that bit of paper to move you. Uh, and the analogy is like, like a story, is like, don't let the net, like, don't try and force the narrative, don't force this bit of paper, allow what is there to be there, and it will come out. And me as an improviser, I'm immediately like, I'm clicking into this, I understand this, uh, and I will have an analogy in my head to, to think about how my improv might work as well. Mm. That sounds really great. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really exciting doing all these, like, really different theatrical approaches, which appeals to me as, like, a theatre maker, someone who, who re- is really passionate about all different types of theatre, physical theatre, any, like, even scripted theatre, love theatre as a whole, and the idea of, like, spending a week where you learn, like, how improv is applied, but also how improv philosophy moves in and out of theatre. Mm. It is a really interesting concept. Yes, and it's actually something that I've been thinking about this year a lot, is that, yes, I love improv and I want to carry on doing it, but I don't want to just do that in isolation. You know, we're, there are all these other fantastic theatrical uh, ways of doing things. And, you know, as you say, uh, physical theatre, I've been looking at contact improvisation, I've been looking at Laban, I've been looking at all these other things that I can then bring into my improv, which can just expand what you can do with it yeah i absolutely i think that the thing to or i always think is that um improv is a is a theatrical medium it's it's just a way of presenting something to the audience it just so happens that it is unscripted or unplanned i like that phrase unplanned um yeah it's just it's just it's an un, it, or it's moment specific someone gave me that phrase a few months ago and i was like i am stealing that mm-hmm. it's moment specific theater it is it's just that it's intangible and one-off and that there's some excitement in that it doesn't matter what the the genre of it is it doesn't matter if i'm going to tell a story or if even if i wanted to come on and improvise a clarinet solo that's still using the the basics of improv it i'm still it's still a philosophy it's still a way of something about the the moment that's never going to be seen again and i think that's that's what's exciting Mm, mm. do you play clarinet i do not play clarinet i was just thinking about stephen who does play clarinet Well, shout out to Stephen Davidson, who uh, does play clarinet. There you go. Um, it's a lot easier to improvise a clarinet solo if you play clarinet. It is. Yeah, I mean, I could try, and you'd probably get a lot of humour out of it. <laughs> it would be like the kind of clown coming on and trying to do the thing. Uh, and you might stay for the humour of it, but equally you'd probably leave. Probably jazz. It's probably fine. 
So, uh, talking of Stephen Davidson, uh, let us talk about love and misinformation. Yes. What's that? Love and misinformation. So, at the beginning of the year, in January, Stephen gathered together a motley crew of uh, improvisers to um, do run a week-long workshop with uh, evening shows. And he had this idea that it would be based around um, a particular or maybe even a set of playwrights. And the consensus of the group was that uh, Carol Churchill would be a really great playwright to kind of base things on. So we spent a week um, looking at more, I guess, more dramatic uh, improv modes. Um, so kind of uh, shelving game and all of that sort of thing for a while and and moving in using uh, techniques in point of view and um, uh, like I guess the the thing that we were thinking about was like it's it's relation it's very heavily relationship based it's very heavily character based um, and it and it, we came up with this thing whereby we'd kind of get a, an issue from the audience because again uh, Carol Churchill's work it is very uh, socially conscientious um, and we'd kind of like indirectly be referencing that in the show um, and I really really enjoyed that week and everybody else did as well um, it was like like I would say it's some of the most powerful improv I've ever done um, and I don't see that say that lightly because like my, do my, I do a lot of improv, I do a lot of um, narrative improv it's all like um, meaningful improv I suppose the word is um, and yeah to, to like there were scenes where I was coming off with like massive goosebumps not just and not the ones I was in as well I was watching them going oh, and that beautiful moment where you go oh, and, and you take the breath and you go oh. um, there there was a lot of that going on which if you if you can achieve that oh my god yeah um, so we really, really enjoyed that and um, enjoyed it so much that uh, we're going to be doing a week in May in the Drayton Arms, I believe. Wow. Um, as, as a run, which is very exciting um, with like, yeah, you know, marketing and all sorts of things. Um, uh, yeah, and hopefully much of the group will be able to come back and do that. I think there are other things in the works that I don't know if I'm allowed to mention, but there are interesting things happening with it. Um, I think it's always exciting to be doing something that is, that that is um, kind of has a dramatic focus. Because again, even as someone who does a lot of narrative improv, a lot of narrative long form, and that being my real passion, it's still incredibly difficult to to do it, to just do it. Like you, you always feel like on that edge of should I be trying to be funny? And when you're marketing a show. Should I be telling people it's going to be funny? Should I be marketing it as comedy? Should it be comedy drama? And it's it's always a perpetual dilemma. Um, and even like with other groups I work with and the group I work with in Cambridge, it's like, whoa, how do I frame this to get an audience? But should I be framing this to get an audience? Or should I be sticking to my artistic principles? And it's, it's really, really hard. Um, I have to say, I do enjoy doing... I think my, my favourite type of improv is that kind of skirting the line, real people, comedy, drama stuff. Um, but it's nice also improvising without that pressure to be funny. Without, yeah, without that need to 
to kind of find find the game or whatever that I personally find that improv very difficult because I, I don't have that sort of brain um, so yeah I, I it's really nice doing something that 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 you, we're we having permission permission has been the word of the week um, to to di- really dive into the the tricky stuff um, and I think if you do have that then you you do get these really these real nuggets of like realism and you and you do have the audience sort of take their breath and it isn't necessarily maybe it's not maybe it's not always it's hard to watch sometimes um but i think audiences are happy to watch things that are difficult i know i'm happy to watch things that are difficult um yeah and i think that yeah i think you maybe not not underestimate what an audience wants to watch or not maybe not predict what an audience wants to watch i have a tendency to predict like audience will want comedy Mm. (laughs) um and that's a yeah i feel like that's something i could be working on difficult to watch in what way so i think um it like i guess it depends on what you're after and i know that sometimes when i go to the theater i'm after one of many things um, sometimes you want to go and you just kind of want to like, you know, have the story told for you. Um, sometimes there are things that might even be triggers and with improv, you can't predict what that's going to be. Um, but then again, if you're, I think again, this is, I'm going to steal this from Lee Simpson saying it this week. If you're going to watch improv, it's probably one of the more intimate art forms. So he was talking about going from TV, which is kind of like you know, maybe the least sort of, it, it's not as engaging, down to uh, maybe going to the cinema, then maybe watching a piece of theatre and then improv, which is like really very intimate. So it may be the case that if you're watching any improv, you, you're already quite in there anyway. Um, but if you are in there, then then it is, as an audience member, you're you're that much more connected. So... I'm just working this out. This is fascinating. Um, maybe it, that makes it all the more difficult to watch if something is going to be like we we are going to be tackling something that's maybe tricky, um, and because it's improvised, it's going to be that much more painful to watch. And I guess some people don't want to do that. Um, uh, I do. <laughs> that's why I go. That's why I enjoy improv. That's why I enjoy theatre. Um, but yeah, not everyone does. So what sort of tricky subjects are you tackling and are they coming from the audience suggestion or are they coming, where are they coming from? So I would say they're coming from both the improvisers and the audience. Um, So the audience will give us a very general topic, say it might be climate change or it might be gay rights, for example. Um, And obviously those are subjects that are hot they are always going to like that's the intention how we tackle that as a as a company is then down to us but i think the beautiful thing about this company is it is made up of a group of people who are very aware um and are very sensitive so the the topics are going they are dealt with well um i i don't i i don't think i could do something i i wouldn't be involved in a project if i didn't think that was the case um so they are dealt with sensitively but and, and mostly it's because the top the 
title of the thing is love and misinformation so and it's character based and it's relationship based so a lot of it is in um watching the dynamic of the characters interact with each other um and that's that may have a a relationship to the the larger subject mm. um and obviously when you're dealing with something like gay rights it probably more so less so with climate change but it's still about relationships and people and their relationship to the subject um so that's because i think it's rooted in people it's rooted rooted in relationship that's that's the way it's tackled right that that sounds that sounds a good way of approaching it because i'm interested in what areas improv should or shouldn't tackle and how it should tackle them if it is going to tackle them and it sounds like you've got a group of people who are already aware of nuances surrounding these sort of issues yes i think um that is a tricky thing i mean i'm intrigued by by what you just said there because i think in many ways personally i think i, I I guess I put it like this. Um, the there was there's a phrase which I learnt via an old improv tutor called Claire Kerrison, and I'm not. We asked her, and I'm, she's not sure where she got it from. It's called uh, the bubble of joy, which is that when you do any form of improv or any form of acting, in fact, underneath the actor has retains this sense of uh, joy for doing it. So even if you're tackling like King Lear. And like it's the the last tragic moment, and you're carrying in Cordelia, the actor still has the bubble of they're still enjoying this, they're reveling it and going, oh my god, this is such like a deep tragic moment. This is awesome. This is like the t- it's my time on stage. Um, so they've still got that 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 bubble of joy, and I think an audience can detect that. It's not saying that you can't do like deep meaningful things, mm. but you you do them with a sense of wanting to be there in the moment um so in that way i kind of feel like i wouldn't want to put any topics off limit i mean i think there's obviously like a sensitivity like um and i and again i would say that's down to the group of people we're not going to come on and do something inflammatory things like it's like but we but we also want to tackle those things but i think also that's partly due to like the diversity of the cast again maybe that's intentional on Stephen's part he's cast quite a diverse group of people they're sort of people who identify in various ways um and that means that they can speak with some authority about the subject matter so Mm. maybe not climate change i don't know if we have any climate change experts in the group but you know again it's about character and relationship rather than the nuances of climate change yes yes so you're getting a suggestion for the audience. Yes. What What do you ask for? So uh, at the moment, again, I I I don't know if this will change. Um, Stephen is asked, literally asking for like a a socially, I don't say it's socially a hot topic, but like a something that that is, uh, like a uh, like a social. Does he say it's like a socially aware topic or something like that? Right. So we, we have an understanding of, like, the audience get a sense of what's going on. Uh, usually he'll say, not Brexit, please. <laughs> <laughs> because, and then someone will say Brexit. Because um, uh, who wants to watch an hour of improv about Brexit? Um, 
so yeah, improv's bad enough it, without adding Brexit to it. Yes. Um, and then we'll kind of like we'll we'll come up with a point of view. The whole like group as as a as, as, as a, a group you know, as a group as a group as group as a group. We'll we'll sort of give a point of view about that thing. And it's actually more that that point of view guides the scenes. Um, again, like we may may never talk about the the subject. I mean. We do because it's kind of honouring what the audience have given you, but um, it's more about that point of view. So if I am a cli- climate change denier, maybe I'm a denier about other things in my life too, or maybe I am that kind of belligerent person. I don't know. Uh, maybe I just don't believe in science. But that may be something that I can use as a point of view and bring into scenes and bring to characters. Um, so I think again, that's one of those reasons it it works really well as a character and relationship driven piece, rather than a kind of issues piece. Mm. And so, what format are you following once you've done that? The beautiful thing is, it doesn't have a format. Excellent. And again, like uh, I don't know if I like banging my improv gong. <laughs> I kind of feel like that's great. I I generally personally don't do improv really that has any format. Um, because me, that's part of for me. That's part of the beauty of improv, and I think if you're working with a group of people who, who are on the same level, you you don't need to define it. You don't need to say there are going to be X number of scenes. They will be in this order, and this will happen then. Um, it's just not something that it's just not something that appeals to me. I think I like finding organic. Like if this scene wants to be two seconds long, that's evidently what is what's supposed to happen in that time, which kind of is related to the open space um, principles that Improbable work with. So if I bring it back to Improbable and the way in which um, they work, they they work using in their rehearsal room uh, something called open space, which has um, like several tenets. It's actually something that comes from the business world. Uh, one of the tenets is um, if you, it's the law of two feet, if you don't want to be in the session, you leave the session. But one of the, the, the one that I think really relates to, well, they all relate to improv really, really strongly, is like what whatever happens in the moment is supposed to happen. So if this scene is supposed to be two seconds long, it's supposed to be two seconds long. Um, if this scene is supposed, if, if, if there happens to be one mono scene, that's what's supposed to happen. And yeah, so that's the, the the two kind of things are aligned, which is why I imagine improbable work in the rehearsal room using open space. It's very improv aligned. But yeah, for me, also that idea that if it's not working, leave. Yeah. <laughs> and if it is, stay. <laughs> and yeah. if that's 45 minutes long and nobody else gets on stage, that's what was meant to happen and that's what happened. It perhaps brings me back to that exercise I was talking about, Keith Johnson's exercise of like, you know if the audience want to leave they can leave and i think that is that's one of these beautiful things about improv is like like if it's not working it's not working if it is it is and it's like one of the only art forms that's allowed to do that yeah be very conscious of what's happening that sounds great um you're also um you created the Ministry of Unplanned Occurrences? Yes, the Ministry of Unplanned Occurrences, with its fabulously long name, um, is the group I work with in Cambridge. We we kind of started, we did, uh, James and I actually did a, a show with Zeal, and we based the show in like object work and object transitions. 
lost property. We had such fun doing that. We were like, ooh, this might make a bigger show. And like I got together a bunch of people and we did a show that was based, it was very sort of uh, sketchy, uh, lots of brief moments based in object edits. And we're like, ooh, that works. Let's stay working together. And then we did a steampunk show. And the steampunk show, it, I was going to say was awesome, is awesome. It's it's so wonderful, like, uh, living in, in, like, this world full of characters where, like, I don't know, like, you can pick up a steam screwdriver or, like, be in a, in a music hall, sing, like, a musical number, or, like, it might be po- populated by androids or, like, the entire city might be underwater, like... It has this beautiful thing whereby it's both sci-fi but also historical at the mm-hmm. same time. And we've got very good at world building. We've got very good at like um, constructing and inventing the, the world around it whilst also maintaining the character and relationship stuff. And it's such a joyous, joyous world to play in. And that's the kind of, that's I guess like our, that's the show we, we sort of uh, are taking around uh, U- the UK. But we also, um, I think, I don't know how many other companies do this. We've kind of settled on being what I would call a repertory company. So about every three months or so, we do a new show. And they are generally speaking narrative improv. But they will be, we'll take some other idea or theme and play with that for like a a run in a theatre. And we play in a theatre because playing in theatres is awesome. Yes, definitely. um, Like you have lights and you have sound and stuff. And we have a musician who works with us as well. So we've done one that is like, it was kind of sci-fi themed. It was more cyberpunk. And it was, uh, again, like quite a philosophical, uh, creative thing where we were like, the central question of it was, um, this is where, again, I bring back the kind of theatre training that I have. Um, and I was like, you know, when you're a playwright, you, you generally speaking have a question that you're trying to answer. And like that with that show, the question was, what does it mean to be human? So the shows would generally explore like using uh, all of the improv uh, principles we have. We'd take an object from the audience and we'd explore what this object was as if we didn't know what it was. But the show as a whole would be answering, what does it mean to be human? The audience didn't know that, but that was our yeah, yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. that we had in the back of our heads. Yeah. So we had yeah, cyberpunk one, steampunk one. We did one that was called Gods and Monsters, which was based on mythology. Again, great fun, just to be like, basically dicking with like myths that already existed. And our next one, which is in April, is called Twisted Tales, and that is based on fairy tales. Again, we're gonna be we're playing with the idea of existing characters existing tropes but like what happens if they come together or what happens after the happily ever after or what or i guess like what we're also looking at because again it's quite a fluid thing because we're going to do what comes to us at the time it's interesting to discover like think about the traits and the tropes of the characters so for example i don't know um the the evil stepmother has an obsession with her appearance and then we go, you might be thinking, like, how does that translate to now? You're like, okay, there's, a, there's an analogy with social media. So then we might find a character who has those traits. Interesting. Um, so it's, an, again, a slightly different way of doing it. The show's in April, so we've not quite settled on exactly yeah, how it's yeah, going to yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah, I think that's that's a beautiful thing about improv is that it, it you know, it will we'll find our way. Mm. Um, but that's been great fun. Like, I have laughed 
riotously in most of the rehearsals, which is always a good sign. But yeah, we're also still playing the steampunk one as well. We yeah, we think we're going to Birmingham in May, and a few other places. Yeah, kind of like because that that uh, we really enjoy playing in that world as well. Have you been able to transcend the improv and play at steampunk events? Ah, you see, this is my uh, this is my next task. I have like got in contact with a lot of steampunk places and um, we just filmed something at the weekend so that because a lot of them like they don't know what improv is they don't mm. know what they're getting don't so, like... tell them <laughs> as long as they don't know we'll be all right as soon as they know oh, what improv is they'll be like oh i don't know <laughs> but you say so you filmed we something. filmed something for them so we'll we'll send them across to them and hopefully they'll be like oh that's awesome we have to have that we had um, quite a few steampunk people come to the show when we did it in Cambridge and they freaking loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like nothing they'd ever seen before. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they came in costume as well, which Fantastic, is really exciting. Yeah. Um, so we like, we often do, in fact, we nearly always do a bit of audience interaction before the show starts in, in character. So it was great fun, like wandering around the audience and being like, oh, let's have a look at your waistcoat. Let's have a look at your hat. <laughs> uh, and it was lovely, yeah, talking to them. And it's really nice when you get like, if you have done something that is in somebody's world, somebody's wheelhouse, that they enjoy it. If they come out going, that wasn't steampunk at all. <laughs> yes. I, I think I'd be a little bit upset. Uh, but they didn't. They were like, oh, oh we loved it. You know, you know they, they were really, they were sort of, talking a bit about the bits of costume and also and obviously what happened in the, the thing as well um so yeah it's a great joy doing it to to people for whom this world is important to them yeah yeah i think it's really interesting when you can um for me it's not necessarily the fact that it's made up that's important it is important but it's not the main thing it's that you've created something that's really great and if you can then you know, put it in front of people who are in love with that world. That's a brilliant thing to do. Yeah, I and I, I, I feel really satisfied when we do it for an audience that, that, yeah, for whom that world is really important. I just, I don't know, I think that's why I would, I think I'm, I'm very excited about the idea of doing it more for kind of steampunk aficionados also because they're generally very excitable enthusiastic people who are like wandering around the country dressing up in costume anyway so they're kind of already on board with the idea of like people dressing up and making things up in front of them yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah they're very enthusiastic it's a very small leap for them to make to get on board yeah because these yeah these things don't really exist um (laughs) So you mentioned um, mentioned being based in Cambridge. Yes. What's the improv scene like in Cambridge? So it is it's an emerging, growing scene. Um, we have like a number of companies. For some reason, the the city seems to hold a lot of narrative improv companies. I don't know why that Interesting. is. Interesting. Um, we have uh, Stealing the Show, who are doing their thing, which is like an improvised heist. The Impronauts, which are allied to the university. But what's really nice about them is that they are very welcoming to uh, the city as well, town and gown. Um, there's also Cambridge Improv Factory and they, they actually they do a little more of the short form kind of stuff um, and uh, I'm like busy trying to train up lots more improvisers <laughs> um, so that there are people to kind of come and make more improv as well with us so yeah it's 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 growing it's emerging and it's a really nice city to kind of be doing shows in because there's like I guess there is the connection to kind of footlights and whatever. People know the city as a place that is 
for comedy for performance this the um level of performance in cambridge is immense like even the amateur scene is like oh my god you people are so good mm. uh, like trying to get into the amateur scene there is hard so there's kind of like i guess like a there's always a sense of i think there's a sense of professionalism around it which is nice mm. and yeah there are lots of people who are very enthusiastic about it in cambridge so that's nice that sounds great um and you mentioned that you're training up the uh training up people to be improvisers as yes. part of Red Cape Improv. Yes. Tell me about that. This is my entrepreneurial side. Um, so, yeah, I run a thing called Red Cape Improv. And basically, yeah, I teach people, improv, teach beginners, and then take them up for intermediate and, uh, and then into sort of performance improv. I also do bits and pieces with, like, different groups of people so like james and i recently did a workshop with celebrants oh wow um, so people who like conduct wedding ceremonies and like funerals and things and it's always exciting like teaching improv to people who don't have a clue what it is and they're just like i i, I need to be more creative or um so these are people who kind of um they perform anyway they're presenters but the idea of yes and the idea that they're sort of collaborating in a sense with the person that they're doing the ceremony for that was a big thing that they took away we told them uh we gave them del close's quote about taking a brick and building a cathedral right they loved that seems appropriate for celebrants it, it does seem, yeah maybe that's why they took it on i don't know um but they loved the idea and they kept using the analogy for everything like oh yes if i bring a brick and they bring a brick and then yeah yes that's that's so you're collaborating with the person who's who's getting married or whatever and we kind of um worked around like we did a, a round of doctor expert as well uh, we did a lot in, um, we, we talked a lot about benevolent high status. Oh, status yes. was a huge thing. Yes, um, I really love benevolent high status. I think that's a really wonderful uh, refinement of the whole status thing. Yes. Do you just want to explain what you mean by that? It's really hard to explain benevolent high status, but it is, it's this idea that you have so much status, you're so high status that you can basically give it away. Mm. So the, I think the examples that are classically used are like religious leaders, so like the Dalai Lama, Mother Teresa, whatever. Um, it was a really good example for celebrants because they are always in benevolent high status. So they are always in control of the ceremony. They know what is happening, but they have to remain uh, as if they are giving as if this is the other person's day mm. um so they're really good examples of people who are doing it all the time and um, yeah so we role played a thing with them like a we did a something where someone was coming to look at a flat and the person whose flat it was was in benevolent high status mm. and i guess the thing is with that is like although you're giving away lots of status you are still you're still giving boundaries you're still quite assertive you're still like this is the way it is I think in like real life, benevolent high status is is really useful. Like I think teachers have it. Um, anyone who's in any kind of position of authority and who wants to retain that authority, <laughs> because if you're not uh, benevolent high status, people will detect the fact that you are a dick and not want to do what you need them to do. Mm. So I think for leaders, benevolent high status is really really important. And I really love playing it in scenes. 
because yeah just because you've got high status doesn't mean that you have to be horrible to anyone you can be fascinated by yeah. people you can be really enthusiastic for people you can want them to achieve and i think that's a really lovely thing to play yeah i mean it's i guess you you it's, it's going back to the ways in which you use status or and that that can be through knowledge uh, and then when you're imparting that knowledge, that's mm. a form of benevolence. It's yeah. still high status, but it's it's not doing it for any kind of like male- malevolence, any badness. Yes. Um, you can yeah. be high status, but you don't need to keep other people down to keep your status because no. you've got so much kind yeah. of... Yeah. No, but it's a really difficult one to explain to new improvisers. Yes. Yeah, um, it, it's a nuanced thing, definitely, yeah. but I think it's a really wonderful... You know, when you're playing with status, to do that is a really wonderful thing. Yeah. So, how did you discover improv? What's your improv origin story? Uh-huh. Um, so, I have been devising theatre, uh, probably improvising, since actually I was about 15. So, a long, long, long time. Nonsense. Um, <laughs> but uh, I kind of had a break from it. Um like I went to university and then I started working and stuff. And then I, I rediscovered it when I moved to Cambridge about 10 years ago. Um, and I hadn't, like, the kind of improv that I'd been doing previously was all quite serious. It was process work. Um, it was all kind of Augusta Boal and Rainbow of Desire and all of that stuff. Um, and then, like, I was teaching English as a foreign language and I was like, how can I engage these people in a slightly more interesting way than standing in front of a whiteboard? And I was like, how can I do this? So I I think I found it back in the days when we had newspapers, wow. you know, when those were real those. paper things. That was a thing. Yep. Uh, I saw an advert for improv classes and I was like, I think that might be a good way of engaging students. So I went along to an improv class. Run and by... Run by Claire Carrison. Oh, There's right. a lovely lady, Claire yes. Carrison, in, in Cambridge, who's now in New Zealand. Yes. I like um, oh, do you? Mm. Awesome. Lovely. She's a lovely lady. Yes. And <laughs> I almost... My, my, my improv career almost stopped then because I was a bit of a pompous ass. And, uh, <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> nonsense. After the first session, I was like, what was that? That was really easy. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a drama person. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not doing... But something about it, like niggled me like got its claws in and I was like okay I'm gonna go back next week and I went back and was like oh okay I, I see what's happening here now <laughs> and then like was totally hooked totally totally hooked um yeah it stopped since then about 10 years ago fantastic so you mentioned um devising and things like that so yes. you're using improv to devise is that where you're interested yes. in at the moment that's my next kind of mission is to kind of like almost go full circle and go back to devising shows as I did when I was a lot younger so yeah I'm I'm currently like uh meeting lots of different people and having conversations with them about like you know maybe we could work together and put something together there's someone in Cambridge uh Nikki who um I'm chatting to at the moment about like you know can we put together a show that you know we're we sort of like having those preliminary conversations where you're like getting very excitedly talking about like all of the issues and like everything you really want to like do uh and then uh we are we are actually in a, in about a week's time going to get together in a space and actually start doing stuff and a lot of that i think will be improv based and it will be a lot based on i think what i've done this week because that was kind of the aims of of doing a week like this was like how can i 
take the thing that we've done? Mm. Uh, how can I take this improv? How can I take these years and years and years and years and years of stuff and, and apply that to devising work? And I'm very interested in that word devising quite specifically because I want to create something that is, I think, inherently theatrical, inherently non-hierarchical, um, which is, again, another thing that I really love about improv. It's generally non-hierarchical, so you don't generally... I mean, sometimes you have a director, and sometimes that's very useful. Um, but, like, the way, for example, the ministry works is it, it is a company... Um, so I am the artistic director, so I will kind of like have last call on things or I'll bring a lot of the ideas, but within the rehearsal space, we generally collaborate and listen and someone will say, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Let's try this. Let's do that. And I really, really love the way that works. Um, in fact, the way the ministry works is, is quite a diver, uh, devising sort of process um, because we're putting together a show, a concept every three months, we go through a kind of devising process as well. We have a whiteboard and we go and put things up on it and we talk about like, with the fairy tales one, we were talking about character tropes, what kind of characters might we meet, where, where have we seen those before, um, how can we like engage the audience, what kind of offers we'll be taking and try and integrate that whole thing. So that's a kind of devising process anyway. Mm. Um, but I kind of want to extend that and um yeah make something that is more like that is a piece of theater i suppose mm. um and it may or may not have i'm i'm happy i'm open to the idea of it having bits that are improvised in it that's pretty cool uh, a bit like the paper man so yeah that's that's kind of where i'm aiming to go <laughs> cool yes we should uh, explain that the paper man is the improbable's latest perf um, performance yes product yeah Thing? Show? show 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 i wish i'd gone for show yes <laughs> improbable's latest show um which for people that haven't seen it they can't see it anymore it's gone <laughs> it's gone it's like a paper man it has intangibly disappeared um but it was on at the soho in march and it was it was a very interesting show based around the idea like that lee simpson wanted to tell a story but he got together with a bunch of women and that they didn't want to tell that story. So they, together, the, they made a show, and it ended up being a show about who has the, the right to tell stories, or who is a storyteller, and it's all about identity, and identity as a, as a woman and as a man, and, the kind of, and it does weave in this idea of football as well. It was very, very intriguing. It was like one of those shows that you go away and you're still thinking about like a week later, yeah. which I love. Yes. Uh, I think that kind of theatre is like, really important and really really cool cool well i hope you went to see it and enjoyed it because otherwise you missed it <laughs> but sorry yeah no one else can go and see it now like, he's probably gonna tour at some point but i don't know i don't know if someone was going to step on stage of you to yeah. perform what could they do to delight you <gasps> oh my god what a question what could they do to like to delight me while they're on stage with me yes or or, or broaden the scope usually it's when you're on stage, but if, if, if there are things that people can do to delight you off stage, mm. brilliant. I'd love to hear about those as well. That, wow, that's an intriguing question. Um, <laughs> I quite like, I actually quite like playing with X factors. So if you know the terminology, it's X factors are the kind of improvisers where you don't know what they're going to do. Right. So I improvise with Sean for a little bit and he's a bit of an X factor. <laughs> um, so I quite like I quite like responding to really random offers. I quite like um, 
like oh oh i know what the answer is to this gosh i got very excited then is i love playing like animals oh really um i love but but animals or inanimate objects that have um a point of view that's uh, very human lovely yes um, so like i we are uh, one of my favorites was when i was a feminist dragon so me and erica um at, in the gods and monsters show were a were two feminist dragons and we were dragons that burnt down like cities and whatever and we were like moaning because like like the guys like get all the credit because uh, <laughs> they do like everyone assumes a dragon's a guy right yeah uh, and we were doing all of the work and it was just like wonderful to be like but we're also these big magnificent physical like we had the wings and we're, like we're standing on chairs and like flapping these huge wings um, <laughs> but being dragons. Yeah, that is one of my f- favourite things. If someone comes on stage and they're an animal, I will, I'm there with them. Fantastic. Yeah. And what would you say your signature move is? What do you do that saves the day, brings down the house, has people going, classic keen? Oh, my God. Uh, they probably wouldn't go, like, classic keen. Um, it tends, I would say... Actually, both your names work. Classic Carla, also in Classic Keen, both works for both of those. I think my parents were poets. Carla Keen, great name. <laughs> um, I think it would be like it tends to be um, it tends to be a dramatic monologue. So, and it's funny, isn't it? Like when you think about your signature move, like how does this like it's never intentional. I think, but it it will it will often be for me like. We'll be doing a show, and 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 the audience will be very engaged, and they'll be very like, what what oh what's happening now, whatever. And I love finding that moment, that just like real like almost silence. And when you when you're doing it in a theatre, if you're lucky enough to be able to do it do it with with lighting, you 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 kind of step forward, and then and then maybe the rest of the lights dim, and you you're in the spotlight, and then you you get to speak about like what that character's really what's going on for them and it happens so rarely that it for the they're all the audience are quite surprised it happens rarely in improv it happens a yeah. lot in theatre yeah, yeah um but i i really love doing that and it's not something like dang everyone i don't spend like 15 minutes in front of <laughs> it, it doesn't work if it's like that it's probably like thir- almost 30 seconds to a minute the most um and i've done it as a bear as well so you know, <laughs> it's not always it's not always like overly dramatic it's just like what's going on in this bear's world what's their head perspective compared to the campus behind them um but yeah they're kind of like stepping out and and being like uh here, here we're gonna hear from me um and then stepping back into the scene i guess that's my signature move fantastic well we have heard from you and now it's time to step back <laughs> into the scene and for me to say thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Lovely. Thank you, Stuart. It was wonderful. Thank you very much. Bye. I made this. That's improv. <laughs>